Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our guest, Pete Fuller, chair of the Jackson County, Georgia Democratic Party and chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia's Rural Caucus. Welcome to the show, Pete. We're happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Terrific. Well, Pete has been chair of the Jackson County Democrats since 2017 and was a candidate for House District 31 in the most recent election. In his role with the Jackson County Dems, they have seen an increase in visibility, funding, turnout, and support over the past two election cycles and are working to continue that progress. Pete is also a husband and father to two teens, Ryan and Carter, and has been living in Jefferson, Georgia for the last 10 years. So happy to have you here. And let's talk a little bit of general background about you and how you got into politics. Have you always been a Democrat? So on and so forth. Tell me about that. Sure. So I'm originally from rural South Georgia, a little county called Coffee County. If you're in Athens and drive 200 miles south toward the flood border, you'll end up there. And I uh, grew up there, uh, went to high school there and graduated, went to UGA and have basically been bumming around the Athens vicinity for the last 20 years since then. We moved to Jefferson here. Yeah, we've been here for a decade. Yeah, yeah. I've always been in Georgia. My, my dad was uh, in the army for 20 years and moved to Georgia shortly after he retired. But I got really got my politics probably from my mother. My grandfather, who I did not get to meet because he passed away before I was born, he was a union organizer in the coal mines in West Virginia in the 30s. Wow. And that affected my mother greatly. I remember her telling me stories about how they had to leave their home in the middle of the night sometimes because of the company goons coming to rough them up or something. There was a lot of threats and they were actually fighting for their survival in that situation. So just organizing for union causes at that point. And it really puts in perspective what we're dealing with today. I'm, I'm not feeling really threatened or anything like that, but people have had to fight for these freedoms that we have and these things like the 40 hour work week and benefits and health and safety issues in the workplace. Sure. That's great. So a strong democratic background there, I'm assuming, which is wonderful. So how did you get involved in politics? What's your story? I think like a lot of people, I was a fan of politics for a lot of years. I would follow it, watch the news a lot, but there was never really any involvement other than just going to vote, if I remember to, if that makes sense. Sure. And basically, uh, I think one of the good things that our former president did for us is get a lot of people off their couch. i realized that yelling at the television really wasn't doing a lot to, to make it better in the area. You know? Except to make us feel better and vent. Yeah, and even then, it was, ah, I, I can remember <laughs> driving around with WSB on and yelling at Neil Bortz and yelling at whoever was on there. That was the wasted energy I had for years. And so after that 2016 election, I searched out the local party here in the county and started going to a couple meetings and I'm sure anybody that's working in local politics here knows if, if you start showing up to meetings repeatedly, you end up getting jobs. Right. And that's where quickly I went up the ladder in the local party here before and before the year was out, I'd become chair. And, um, <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> it's, it's not hard. No, no. And, and the local party here is it's, we're, we're a county that's been voting Republican for about 20 years sure. now. Actually, the Democratic Party here in the county shut down in the 90s. And then was restarted by a group of hardworking folks that are the elders of my party now, I consider them. And 
they're great friends as well at this point, but they restarted it in 2008 to help with the, uh, the Obama campaign at that time. Okay. And it's, it's funny because I've still got the records from the old 90s party, and it's a lot of names that you recognize in this area Wow. that all just swap parties at that point and shuttered the doors. Fantastic. But I got uh, involved then, and, and that's where we're at now. Well, terrific. So that's a nice dovetail into my next question. Tell me more about Jackson County in general, your trends and growth. You also wanted to talk about the SK plant, hmm. democratic changes, and of course, your proximity to Gwinnett, Clark, and Hall counties, which places you in a unique growth spot. So tell me more about that, if you can elaborate. Yeah, so Jackson County, if you are uh, start out in Midtown Atlanta and head north up 85, you'll be in Jackson County in about an hour. We're right along that growth corridor around 85, and we've grown exponentially over the last 10, 15 years. We've had something like 20 or 30,000 people move into the area just in that amount of time. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So we, we border Gwinnett, and we've seen how quickly Gwinnett has moved between... Mm-hmm. Within the last eight years, they've went from a 60-40 Republican county to a 60-40 Democrat. And that's been all related to their demographic changes and population changes. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping, and because we're going to have the growth here, and, and, and part of it, I love the rural feel to the area. And I hope that we can find a way to, and that's something I'm passionate about, is finding a way to zone and plan in this area to maintain that and learn from the mistakes of some of our our fellow counties that have gone through this change already, but we're, we're seeing the growth already. Our main towns are Braston, Jefferson, and Commerce. Now, right outside of Commerce is the SK Battery Plant, which is since the um, that Kia plant over in West Point, this is the largest single manufacturing facility that's been built in the state, I think, ever. There's something like $2 billion that's going into the infrastructure on this, and they're hiring now to go online. That's great for the county. Yeah, yeah, something like 2,600 jobs. Now, with that is a lot of growth. There's going to be a lot of people that are coming in to move here to work there. But it's going to change the area, and it's going to bring in folks. And when it comes to the environment, it's got it's got a plus side or minus side because these are going to be making the batteries for the new F-150s mm. um, that Ford's putting out that are battery-powered. And for the environment, that's great. I do worry a little bit about the the manufacturing costs and what that's going to look like when it comes to what it takes to actually manufacture those batteries, Mm -hmm. what impact that's going to have in the area. But I think overall, it's going to be a good thing. So tell me more about the demographic changes in your county because of all the people moving in, I assume? Yeah. We are sandwiched between Hull, Gwinnett, Clark, and then Banks are on the other side on the east. Gotcha. Clark County, obviously, with the university, is is, that's this little blue oasis there. Right. And Hull County has been quickly changing as well. And going out, we just talked about with the changes there. So we're seeing people moving right along that 85, 85 corridor or West Side Precinct between the Jason Carter election for governor and when Stacey Abrams ran. We saw a, a 15% bump in what Abrams got in percentage on, in that West Side Precinct. Alone. Now, that is impressive. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and I wish I could take any credit for that at all, but I can't. <laughs> That's all people coming in. Moving over the line from Gwinnett and just overflowed from that area. Because I was even before my time doing anything with the party here. But we're reaching out hard to those folks. And we're building a good contact list and, and contacts with folks that are moving in. Because we're finding folks that are moving in that are not the good old boys that have been in Jackson County for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this area has some good old boys. If you look at the history of this area, this was the home of the Dixie Mafia back in the 60s with all the, with all the murders and the bootlegging and car bombings and everything else during that time. So yes. it's got a wild history to it, but that's here and there. It's different now, thankfully. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thankfully. So you had an HG31 
run, correct? Yes, it did. And, you know, there were issues surrounding Tommy Benton. Was that your opponent? Yes, he was. Apparently, he had some rather major Ku Klux Klan comments and denigrated the great John Lewis. Tell me about lessons learned from that race and what came out of that. Sure. I got into that race basically as a part of it was a failed candidate recruitment drive out of the party. But we really treated it as a chance to really reach out and do some stuff as a campaign that you can't or it's a little bit harder to do as a party in general. Mm-hmm. People will talk to candidate Pete that may not talk to Chairman Pete about issues and concerns. Gotcha. And Tommy in particular, we've got a lot of problematic legislators mm. in the state. Mm. Tommy in particular, though, is different in the fact that he has been nationally known at this point as a Klan apologist. This happened actually years before where he made statements that the Klan wasn't really racist. They were just trying to make everybody act straight and basically apologizing for him, saying that they were more of a fraternal organization like the Lions Club or the American Legion or something and not a racist organization. Mm -hmm. And this is where he got in trouble the first time. This is when he lost his chairmanship, at least the first time. He was the chairman at that time of one of the committees. I forget which one at that point. He was relieved of that after an outcry from many of his own colleagues on the Republican side. Good. I'm happy to hear that. Well, then a couple cycles later, he was reelected after there was no Democratic opposition. And he had one challenger here that was, let's just put it this way, um, he tried, but he was a little bit young for that situation. And sure. And I don't know. I voted in the Democratic primary, so I didn't. I got to skip that one. But he got reelected and then got reappointed as chairman again. Oh, my. <laughs> so after that happened, I was just angry. We didn't run a candidate at that point, And I vowed to myself, he was going to have opposition one way or the other mm-hmm. the next time. That happened. And when was this? That first time, I think it was in 2014 or 15. Okay. And then he was reappointed as chair. He decided to run again for reelection here. The thing that is really worrisome, too, with these Klan comments and these other comments that he's made mm-hmm. Tommy was a teacher in the Jackson County school system for 30 years. Oh, dear. Speaking history. So when I hear all the outcry about critical race theory and, oh, God, what are we teaching the children about our history? This is what I'm more, way more concerned about. Exactly. And I actually got comments from folks that had been through his class that felt like they were gaslighted. I can only imagine. About their own history. These were Black folks that told me this. Mm-hmm. They liked him as a teacher and then realized, oh, he was feeding us a load of baloney. Yep. So badly, he was not going to go unopposed. Qualifying day came up and just there it was. Okay. So we drove to the Capitol and got on the ballot and we ran a race and we were able to talk to folks. We were able to build our contact list. We were able to talk about the issues in the area. What the local party, I feel like, is really supposed to be doing is running races. That's our whole reason to be here. Sure. What better way to learn about how races are won? and what works and what doesn't work than to actually run the race. Exactly. It's a party building activity as much as something to win because facts are in this area right now is even if we could have, if we could have raised some $7 million or something and ran mailer after mailer, I don't know if a ham sandwich running on the Republican party ticket would have won that race, (laughs) which is sad, Right. but it's, that is what it is right now. We didn't get in this way overnight. We're not going to, it's a project. So we treat it like a project, Mm -hmm. but halfway through this race this year, Mr. Ben's been, he was told by somebody, it sounds like, to be very quiet. He basically didn't do anything. He did not go out and talk to folks. He stayed quiet, but he did pop up on a local radio show. Mm -hmm. And while being asked about the change of, there's a proposal about replacing Alexander Stevens' bust at the U.S. Capitol with John Lewis. This was about two weeks after John Lewis had died. Mm. And Tommy, at that point, went on a long rant about how 
Alexander Stevens, who was the vice president of the Confederacy, was a much, much more prolific and better legislator than John Lewis ever was. Oh, my goodness. And you got to remember that Alexander Stevens, he was the author of what's called the Cornerstone Speech. Mm-hmm. And this speech, as vice president of the Confederacy, laid out there with no ifs, ands, or buts that the cornerstone of the Confederacy was white supremacy. This is what Alexander Stevens stood for. So he goes on to say that Stevens was a much better legislator and that John Lewis really hadn't done anything but get hit on the head on Pettus Bridge and had been milking it ever since. <sighs> That's just vile. It's untrue and it's vile. It is. It's vile, yeah. And, and I'll give Speaker Ralston some credit here that within a week, he was no longer the chairman of that retirement committee anymore. Good. But Tommy is still in the legislature, and this is one of the people that he's seen as an embarrassment by his own party. And he's probably sitting in a, a broom closet up there instead of having an office these days. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah, yeah. But we do need to get him out of the legislature, along with Marjorie Taylor Greene and all the other horrible Republicans we have in this state who are just extremists and spread disinformation. And how do we fight? How do we fight that disinformation? It's difficult, really difficult. Yes. I wish I had a magic solution for how to do it. The way I approach it, though, is that basically people can watch Fox News. People can get their bad information from here on out. But I've always wanted to believe, at least, that personal one-on-one interactions with people you love and trust Mm -hmm would count more than what somebody sees on the news. Right. Post-COVID and with the QAnon stuff, there's part of me that is doubting that these days. But I like to think that that's our solution is getting back to being able to talk to folks. Right. It's important to get the word out. It is. It is. And it it comes down to to speaking to folks in their own language, speaking to folks here locally about issues that concern them. And that's one area that I feel like I've had some success at least because everybody, I like to say that everybody on the local level is a liberal. Everybody wants the roads paid. Everybody wants clean air and clean water. Everybody wants good jobs that pay good. And they want to all fund the local school system a lot. They don't, this all gets into when you're funding other stuff that people get all real tight with their money and the rage at the government spending too much. But locally, everybody wants their stuff funded and done well. Of course. And that's where I feel locally here is where we have to start, especially for a party like ours, like the Jackson County Party, that's not been real visible over the years. And that, that gets into that, just raising visibility in the area. I lived here for years and didn't know there was a Jackson County Democratic Party until I was able to look them up on some state website somewhere and went through three or four different phone numbers and finally found someone. Mm. So one of our first steps was really getting visible on the internet, getting a website up there, at least it just has a phone number and somebody to reach. Sure. And talking to our officials, because what I've also found is a lot of our local officials tend to be some pragmatic Republicans. If they want to get elected, they know that they need to be on a Republican primary ballot. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are not hardcore. They're not all Marjorie Taylor Greene. Thankfully. A lot of them just want stuff to work and basically talking through issues there and working locally is super important. It really is, all politics being local. And you had also mentioned Hoshton in 2018. Can you talk about that? The mayoral race? Yeah. Right. Yeah, this was in Hushton, which is the sister city to Brazzers in Georgia. And this is right over on the Gwinnett County line as well, where in 2018, we had an issue where I uh, woke up one morning, the AJC had Hushton on the front page of the paper. And Hushton is like 1,500 people, mind you. Mm-hmm. And my apologies for mispronouncing the name. Hushton was founded by the Hush brothers, who were angry with the Brazelton brothers, I believe. So you got these two towns are like right there next to each other. They literally share the same water lines, I think. The Hatfields and the McCoys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically? Okay. Yeah. But anyway, the whistleblower maintained that they were hiring a city manager. In this position, they had four finalists that they're 
resumes were given to the rest of the council. The council reviewed them, but then one of the resumes disappeared when it came back up for a review. That's strange. Yeah. And when questions why that was, the mayor told the other council folks that, that he was black and she didn't think the Hushman was ready for a black city administrator. Oh, no. And I credit the folks that were there because it would have been very easy to just kind of go, oh, that that's horrible. But then I don't want to deal with it and just let it go. They didn't do that. They actually got this information out. And this began a cycle of folks showing up to the city council meetings for a full year, packed room. Excellent. Demanding something to happen. Mm -hmm. One of the other councilmen who was a ally of the mayor, when asked, he, I don't know why, nobody to this day knows why he told the reporter this, but he's just decided to give all of his views about interracial marriage and how seeing that seeing an interracial couple just made his blood boil. Mm. So this was two of the people on that five-person council. Oh my. And there was two other people, that two women there that were literally on the local Republican board, but they were very much appalled by this. And it became a situation where we were able to me personally, really, but as, as a member of the party, we're, we started showing up at these meetings. And this gets into where all politics is local, and it mm-hmm. makes for some strange um, bedfellows sometimes. Yes, it does. When it became obvious that the mayor was not going to resign, she just wanted to go ahead and stay there and was going to wait it out, we started looking for ways to deal with this. And I will credit the state party lawyers on this. They gave us the idea that, you know, is there an ethics area of the the city charter. And we started looking at that. And this was Sarah Gazal, who actually ran for a house last year, but she at the time was voter voter protection director of the state. Mm -hmm. And she put us onto this. And I actually partnered with the then Republican chair at the time, who was a notary public. And we ran a clearinghouse, basically, here are the ethics complaints, come file one. And we had 60 people come up there and file an ethics complaint against both the mayor and the councilperson for embarrassing the city, basically, which was against their charter. Mm-hmm. And also for not appointing people to the ethics board that's supposed to review these complaints. Of course not. <laughs> not surprised at all. Yeah. So so we had these on books and we ended up partnering with some other folks. And it is incredibly hard to recall a elected official in the state. Yes. We had to get petitions of half the registered voters at that time who were registered when the people were elected. Mm-hmm. Then you have to get take these before a judge to see if your grounds for recall have merit. The judge can just say, no, they don't and forget it. And then you have to go back and get another round of signatures. That's the process to get somebody recalled, which is why it's rarely done in the state. It's just not. Yeah. But there are a group of us, and these involves Democrats, Republicans. Sure. People that just saw the hateful comments that were made by the mayor and the councilman and did not want that to reflect their town. And we partnered there. And I went out, and many of us Democrats went out with people that identify as Republicans, and we got signatures for these things. We got the signatures done. We went before the judge. We got the recall approved. And the statements originally came in the paper in March of that year, I believe. And we were finally able to force the resignation in December of that year. Congratulations. That's fantastic. When it became obvious that they were going to get recalled out. And we got two folks put on that council that are tremendous young men. And they are doing a good job there. I am so happy to hear it. And I wish that would happen more often. But I do understand it's an onerous process. So it would take a bit of time and dedication as well. So I wanted to talk to you, being in the ninth District, which is largely rural, as we know, Mm -hmm. we spoke with Holly McCormick, who's running against MTG Mm -hmm. 
in her district, 14th district, I believe. And Holly spoke about her rural revival plan, which is all about getting the towns and cities revitalized, bringing in rural broadband, which is so important right now, and just really promoting the more rural candidates and counties. Tell us about the Rural Council in your role as chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia's Rural Caucus. Tell us about the role of Democrats in rural areas, how we need to learn to message and communicate, and why it's so difficult but necessary. Of course. And I listened to that interview earlier today. It was very good. I, I liked that a lot. Thank you. She's and terrific. She's absolutely right. Yes. That's been an issue here in my county. And we saw last year, the broadband is not a luxury anymore. This is a utility just like electricity and phone service. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be treated any different in my mind. In the fact We're just a step over dial up at this yeah, point yeah. in so many areas. Mm-hmm. That was something that came out a lot in, in my area. It's gotten a little bit better, but I live in downtown Jefferson. Okay. Fairly new area. There are places that right around my county that are, they're not even meeting the minimum standard that the FCC puts out there for what broadband is. There technically is not broadband is how slow it is in a lot of areas of the state and the, the ninth district in general. Right. And we've got to do something to alleviate that. So we saw last year, it's, it's not a luxury. You got kids that needed to do school and it's a public health issue at that point when you try to transfer all these things to, to the internet and instead they have to go somewhere or that was a big rationale for a lot of schools opening when it may not have been the wisest choice at that point, because they just were going to have too many kids that they were going to lose because their parents didn't have internet. Exactly. And she mentioned Chattanooga as well. And Chattanooga is a very interesting case because it's a municipal broadband system. Mm. The city of Chattanooga actually runs that system. And that's, I wish that we would look at more of that service because just like where the water department is usually a city owned utility, that seems like a perfectly valid thing to do with a lot of our internet service as well. What else? What else do you focus on? With the Rural Council, we're really in a, in a rebuilding phase right now. Mm-hmm. And we're actually going to be, uh, I don't know if this is going to come out before the, the 20th, but we're going to be having a meeting then online. Look up our Facebook page for more information about that to get reorganized in preparation for 2022. We've got to look hard at how we talk to rural counties for good reason. And I understand why the state party is tends to be very metro focused right now. But we've also been in a situation where, where we've tended to see rural counties through a singular lens of the white country farmer a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And growing up in down in South Georgia, living here, we've got the entire rainbow of folks in rural counties. They tend to get drowned out a lot of times by the loudmouth. And that tends to be the one singular image that comes up through the media about what's happening in rural counties. But we've got everybody. Here. When dealing with rural counties, this is something where Stacey Abrams, I give her all the credit in the world for seeing what the problem was and how we can actually make changes here. Mm-hmm. She saw that there were a lot of folks that had been cut out of the system that were not participating because of decades of being told that they shouldn't. Right. And that's something we've got to continue because there's still people in our rural counties that aren't ready don't see any reason to be registered, don't see any reason what they should care one whit about what the state or local government's doing because they don't see any benefit to them. Because we've had conservatives in governments here for Democrats or Republicans, it's been conservatives over the last 40 years here that have not been doing public services well, in my mind. So yeah, they're not seeing any benefit to government, so they don't see any reason to participate in government. And that certainly benefits the Republicans, there's no doubt. So how do we get the vote out 
in rural Georgia? How do we get more people involved and active in the process? I wish I had the magic bullet for this, but we're going to try. The key is, first of all, visibility. We've got to quit being afraid to be Democrats in our areas. I know myself, I was very quiet for years sitting here in Jefferson because I was literally the only liberal I knew in the area. And it's scary because the far-right Republicans can be quite frightening. But also what I found out when I finally said, the hell with it, I'm going to be who I am and talk loud, which was also feels freeing as well, because right at the time I had a job change that took me out of the county school system and working for a company remotely that isn't local here. So no longer was my employment in any way tied to someone that had power local. Right. That was very freeing for me. I was able to be able to basically say what I wanted to on social media and everywhere else. And guess what? Other people come up to you and they shake your hand. They go, I'm a Democrat. <laughs> they, whis- they whisper it. Yeah. <laughs> And with social media, it can be a horrible thing, but we've also got some little secret invite-only Facebook groups going now where people that I've known for years, I had no idea they felt this way a lot of times. Just like politics and religion are two things you're never supposed to talk about. Right. And that's where, first of all, being visible, making sure that people understand we're not the only ones here. You're not on an island. There are people that see what's going on state and locally and are appalled by it, and that builds confidence to be who you are, to get out. And then once you're able to say, I don't like what's going on, they can volunteer. Mm -hmm. Once you give somebody the permission to come out and talk and be open, they can volunteer, they can knock doors, they can make these phone calls. They can make these personal appeals to folks. Yes. We got people that aren't participating. First of all, we got to reach them. We got also a lot lot of people that are voting Republican because that's what granddaddy voted. That's what their dad voted. And they've never sat down and really looked at this. We had a situation a couple years ago where the local city school system was looking at putting guns in teachers' hands. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. And there was a group of us that were like, I've worked in schools. I'm I'm pro-Second Amendment. I'm for ownership for a lot of reasons, but a chaotic classroom is not the place to have a gun. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. There's just too much going on. It would have been a disaster. And the local plan here was basically, there was no local plan. It was a one sheet proposal that had no code of contact. It was bad for many reasons, basically because it was poorly thought out and planned. Of course. So we had a group of parents that were all like, something needs to happen here. So we were meeting up regularly. We got before the school board and they did shelve the plan. Thank goodness that didn't happen everywhere. That happens in some local counties. On that same day, we had Sarah Riggs Amico coming in for a fundraiser that afternoon. And I just mentioned it to this group that I'm working with. And hey, we've got, we got a Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor coming in, if anybody's interested in going to that. And half of this room is like, oh, no, I'm a Republican. I can't go to that. Mm-hmm. And because we were all allied at that point, I did not shake that particular cart, but I wanted to shake some folks. And like the reason we're fighting this locally here is because of decisions at the state and national level by Republicans. And that's what I think a lot of folks really have been voting on autopilot that really need to look at the issues. And that's where another thing where I think with Trump and some of the craziness that's going on right now uh, when you look at the January 6th stuff and how groups of them are starting to embrace that instead of looking at it in horror like they should. Mm. I believe we're going to be getting some folks that have been shaken awake and look at what's going on and reevaluate some stuff. We need to be ready to bring those folks in and, ha- and have those conversations with folks. And this is a problem throughout the Ninth District, actually. Back in 2018, the Fannin County Board of Education here in our county, they voted to arm their 
school personnel and it passed unanimously. So it's extremely worrisome across the entire district. And certainly education, I think, is very important at this point to make sure that the folks up here who are traditionally Republican understand the difference between true conservatism, and I'm thinking of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for true conservatives, and the extremist wing of the Republican Party that has taken over the entire GOP. So how do you deal with far-right Republicans across the 9th District? How do you communicate with them? How do you make sure that they know that it's so important, these issues? When it comes to far-right Republicans, I think it's a waste of time, really. I think if somebody is drinking the Kool-Aid to the point that they are injecting propaganda into their brains for hours at a time, those aren't the people to worry about. We're not going to turn somebody that's got a a multitude of Trump signs in their yard. Mm -hmm. That's something that maybe if they're your close friend or family or something, you can have that conversation. But me as a stranger, it's not going to be able to do anything. It's hard in the ninth district. I know because of our, the demographics that are here, but it didn't get this way in one cycle and it's not going to change in one cycle. But we start now with folks that are younger, that aren't so dyed in the wool and unchangeable and haven't like ingrained it into part of their personality at this point. Because the kids are all right. Yes, they really are. I've got two teens. They're friends. Granted, my kids get a lot more of this politics stuff than a lot of their friends Mm -hmm. do, but the kids see what's going on. They're the ones that are not racist. They're the ones that are, I'm sure it's in the schools. I know it is, but but for the most part, these kids have been going to school in, well, they've all been going to desegregated schools their entire lives. Most of us have. And this is something we always have to remember too. People that are above 67 or so, I believe, went to segregated schools. This is something that the older demographic really, this was a big part of their growing up. Yes. So the kids are right. The kids are not near as racist, or if at all, they are embracing LGBTQ people. The issues that we particularly ascribe to the hard right position, these kids look at that and they're just horrified. So some of this is going to come to us if we're able to talk to the kids and focus on nurturing the younger folks and the people that actually are persuadable. And I think in Georgia in general, we spent a lot of years trying to bring back people that used to vote Democrat, the switch to to the Republicans in the 90s. Those people are gone. And we let them go and, and focus on actually bringing up new folks that are excitable, that have energy, that can maybe then they can talk to their parents and show them that, hey, this is not not there because we got to be visible for that. And we got to show people, Hey, we are here. We're local. We don't have horns on our heads. I'm not running a truck around to go confiscate your guns. <laughs> I've got a shotgun and a pistol myself. Like I, I'm, all, I'm for responsible ownership. Liberals own guns too. Yes. And this is where fighting those stereotypes that we're just here to take your guns and make you gay. Like that's what's coming out of their propaganda. And there's nothing wrong with being gay. And that's fine. But, and that's what you'll see, too, is like with the Republicans, a lot of times, these are the folks that are pro-gay Republicans. A lot of times are the ones that actually have someone close to them that is gay themselves. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the conservative mindset. And this is my little theory that basically, unless it happens to someone, if you're yes. a hardcore conservative, unless it happens to you, it's not. A I say that all the time. And that's where you've got to be visible. And show them that we are in your circle. We are close to you. And this is not who we are. Yes, we're for responsible ownership. And this is where everybody, I think, more Republicans agree with this than not, even though they they proclaim the Second Amendment is holy, but yet they don't want a crazy guy to have a gun. I don't know. Andrew Clyde might not agree with you on that, but he is. 
Well, Andrew Cloud was making money from selling guns to crazy people. Mm-hmm. He's got a motive to want those crazy people because they go buy more and more and more. Exactly. Yeah. So getting younger folks involved, how is that going for you in uh, <laughs> Jefferson County? How's that working out? There's a lot of advantages to being uh, close to Athens mm-hmm. for being in Jackson County. Uh, reaching out to the youth folks is not one of them because most of our young folks that are in that demographic, if they want to participate in Democratic stuff, Tim Denson down in Athens gets them a lot of times. Yeah. Because they're 15 minutes down 85. And it's a lot more fun doing stuff with the college folks. And, and we don't have a college here either. So a lot of the folks that would normally be active in politics tend to go off to college and they're not right here. And that's where I have in UNG up in North Georgia's. I think uh, Melissa Plank came out of UNG. She did. Stuff. Doing started politics doing there in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, my good friend Jamie Mitchum, who's our treasurer, he's he's been at UNG for a while. That's a great benefit to them. So we've been working out. We've been trying to COVID actually put a hitch in our plans last year to work on getting a political clubs into the local high schools here. We were having preliminary talks with the local school systems, and those were going well. We would have to go in partnered with the Republicans, I think. And basically having visibility in the high schools is, is important. Mm-hmm. One of the former chairs of the local Republican Party here was the one, same one that I partnered with in Houston, who got ran out. I forgot to leave that part out. She got ran out of the party for uh. partnering with me on that. But me and her had done talks in the school systems that, with the AP classes about what it means to be a Democrat or a local local political party person. That's a terrific idea. That should be done everywhere yeah. across the state. And it gave me a lot of hope that the kids are all right there because they had much better questions than a lot of the adults I deal with. Mm. Much, much better questions. And they were they were willing to have good, honest, hard discussions. They didn't always agree with me, but we had good discussions in those sessions. That's good to know. That gives me hope. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, as we come out of COVID, and are actually able to, we're having our second in-person meeting this week since after a year of not. So I'm hoping we can refocus on that and get and get that going again. Right. And I know a lot of Democrats, well, I wouldn't say a lot, a, a few of the Democrats that I know up here are afraid of speaking out because they're worried about repercussions with their jobs and their lives and their kids and everything else. How do we address that? And that's right. I think I said before, I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to do that and work for a company that's based out of state that doesn't care that Democrat. Right. But a lot of folks aren't in that position. And that's the difficult thing. I, I give folks leeway very much on that. Something else we started after I became chair was having little booths at the local festivals around. And, and I'm always very upfront. Like, you're going to be seen. You're a Democrat. Make sure that your job's going to be okay with that. And it's not going to hurt you mm-hmm. in your regular life. I'm very willing to give somebody a pass if that's what's going to happen to them, if they feel threatened like that. But everybody's not. So we give those folks that are threatened like that other ways to participate. They can make phone calls anonymously. They can write postcards. They can do those things and have those discussions with people they trust that aren't going to come back on them personally. Mm-hmm. My truck is decked out with the Warnock sticker, and I've had Dr. McCall and Devin Pandy and everybody else's signs on my stuff for years. I've never gotten a repercussion of it, but I'm a white dude. Right. I know my wife was harassed to the point that we took the Obama sticker off her car years ago. Oh, no. I know it happens in the area, and that's where I'd take that choice for myself, but that's I'm not going to make someone or chat somebody for not doing anything they're not comfortable with. But at the same time, we do have to be more vocal. When we can be outspoken, we, we do need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's uncomfortable to give those talks. It's uncomfortable to put your politics out there front and center when all you want to do is talk about how the dogs are doing. But it's important as well, especially when it comes to voting and getting people out. 
And especially when you're talking to folks that are like, oh, both parties are the same, all politicians, it doesn't really matter who you vote for. Well, it does. And getting them to understand your landlord cares about politics. Your boss cares about politics. <laughs> the people that run things in the county definitely worry about politics. And guess what? They are very happy if you don't care about politics because that gives them the opportunity to keep doing what they're doing. Right. And you were recently quoted, congratulations, by the way, uh, you and June Chris, our ninth district chair, were quoted in the Georgia Recorder, I believe that's Jay Bookman's website, and it was picked up by Georgia Public Broadcasting. And you talked about low-hanging fruit, and you mentioned that statewide candidates get nibbled to death by ducks just a little bit here and there from the smaller counties. What does that mean? So we're getting 90% of the vote out of the big metro counties, Mm -hmm. right? But this is one of those, this is an old phrase that I I picked up somewhere, but basically getting eaten to death little, little bites at a time. You know, we we have this massive turnout in the metro, but then we get counties of 20 and 30 and 40,000 people that go massively the other way. Exactly. And they get overwhelmed. We didn't get in this situation overnight when it comes to the demographics and how the people vote in these different counties. And we're not going to win in a lot of these places overnight either. But what we can do is just start moving the needle two, three, four, five, ten percentage points over the next few cycles. If we can get five to ten percent out of better turnout, move it from 20 to 30 percent in a lot of these rural counties, we're winning massive landslides at the state level. Exactly. That's something that the DPG certainly understands. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I like to think that I helped elect Biden here because just in our little county, we had 12,000 more Democratic folks come out of Jackson County than we did in 2016. That's fantastic. At one point, I forget exactly what the number, whatever the amount was, and I need to look at my thing again, but whatever the amount was, at one time, Biden was only leading that by a less than what we had been able to improve out of Democratic votes out of the county. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the ninth district overall, we got a lot more Democratic votes out last time. This was part of June's plan with the state as well to run these races, right. get candidates out there. The RNC can make national candidates into boogeymen that everybody universally knows. The RNC wasn't running any ads against me. They weren't running any against June Chris or any of the other awesome candidates that we had. And that gives you opportunity to be able to actually start a conversation fresh without having somebody envisioning the AOC with the horns on her head, you know? Right. Or just repeating the GOP talking points for that matter. If we can continue to run races, even though we didn't win any of those races, we had success with getting more votes out. And we keep running races locally. And, you know, we're going to fool around and win some of these at some point. We keep running races. We keep getting more votes, just a few percentage each time. And that's how you look 15, 20 years down the road. We're mm-hmm. a firm blue state at that point. And that's where I think that we're going. Yeah, I'd like to see that happen. I'd like to see us follow the path of Virginia. Exactly. It's extremely tenuous in the South. So it's a constant battle. We can't relent. We can't give up. We have to keep going. And certainly we're not blue yet. We have to ensure that Ossoff and Warnock win their re-elections. And we have to turn the House and the Senate in the governor's office, of course, before that can happen. This is great. Well, it sounds like you're really coming along. And before we go, we're running out of time. But before we go, and I ask all my guests this question, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Something not political that listeners may not know, but would find fascinating. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm not any good at it, but I'm a member of the local theater company. Oh, hey, that's great. My eldest wanted to go try out for Mary Poppins when they were like six years old. 
And I took him to the audition and ended up with a role myself after that point, dancing around as a chimney sweep. <laughs> Last year was the first year that we didn't participate in summer production because there wasn't one. And this year has been weird, but yeah, I've played chimney sweeps and played a, a zombie killer. And we did Night of the Living Dead one year. What fun. Yeah, it's, and it's always fun and just, and it's something, and it actually transfers a little bit to what I'm doing here because it actually helps you get on stage and you lose a lot of inhibition when you have to stand up there and sing around and dance. Exactly. Public speaking and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you get a little bit less self-conscious each time and, and there it is. So yeah, hopefully I can be in some tights and zombie makeup again. <laughs> I must ask, is there any video of your performances? Because I would love to see that. Absolutely none. Oh, come on. Absolutely none. There are, there are strict prohibitions about taking the theater well i'll just have to come up there for a show then we are having a small production that i'm not actually it's an all-female production this time there's only about three or four uh, folks going on stage this weekend so if you happen to find yourself in jefferson show up you bet well thank you pete for joining us today and sharing more about your crucial work to maintain our democracy i'm meryl clark and on behalf of our team i'd like to thank everyone for listening to the north georgia blue podcast we hope you'll listen next time when our special guest will be Michael Ford, chair of the Hall County, Georgia Democratic Party. To learn more about the Fanning County Democrats and the work we're doing, visit us online at FanningCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. And you know, Pete, I forgot to ask you for your email and website for folks interested in your county willing to donate or volunteer. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. The website is JCDCGA, Jackson County Democratic Committee, Georgia. .org. You can get me at Pete at jcdcga.org. And you can go to the Democratic Party website and click the Know Your Party area and all our email addresses are there as well. Terrific. Well, consider sharing the North Georgia Blue podcast with your friends and family and follow and subscribe. Join us again next time as we get into some more good trouble.